Mr. Nixon, what is the truth about communism? Well, first, we must recognize communism for what it is. Freedom from hunger, from disease, and a victory for the ageless hope of people everywhere. As good Marxist-Leninists, I think I should point out and publicly declare that everything is moral that is necessary for the annihilation of the old exploiting social order, order, order. and for uniting the proletariat. Among the many traits the peoples of our two countries have in common, none is stronger than our mutual abhorrence of the United States as nothing more than a distorted and desperately evil which can only destroy and never, never create. create. Hello, and welcome to the very first bonus interview of Collective Action Comics Season 2. I'm sitting here with Ben Becker, cartoonist, art director, illustrator, designer, writer, editor, man of many hats. Ben, how are you doing? I'm doing so good. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, absolutely. I just read the uh, the first issue of Paper Medicine. Yeah, I'm really glad you liked it. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so it's it's the first issue of an ongoing, if this is an oxymoron, I apologize, solo anthology. So each subsequent issue will be its own self-contained story. It's available digitally and physically, but it's printed using a risograph, which I can get into what that means for, for uh, people who aren't familiar. Mm-hmm. The first story is is titled Pigeon. Uh, not spelled like the bird, spelled P-I-D-G-I-N. It follows two communist goldfish who pilot a... <laughs> automaton into an optometrist's office to break their fish comrades up a fish tank and then hilarity ensues <laughs> it sure does uh, yeah I, I i just read it the other day and I, I really enjoyed it so when you say solo in an anthology like how many how many parts are we talking here what, what is your plan for paper medicine in terms of like how long it goes on the idea was a vessel to make it easy for me to get comics out quickly Mm -hmm. i would obviously love to at some point do like a full graphic novel but all of these are going to be like in the 20 30 page range and they allow me to get stuff relatively quickly so i'm not like stuck on one project for too long and lets me get stuff out for people to read at an okay pace like comics take if i do a graphic novel and this is not unique to me like they take years Mm -hmm. and because i'm i only really want to make comics in my free time in terms of like my art practice doing something shorter is just the easiest way to get my work out so like i have ideas for future issues i'm writing the second one now um that i won't talk about because who knows but yeah the the the, they'll all be like the same page dimensions they're like five by eight inches yeah roughly the same page um the way rizzo rizograph works is it's it's sort of a it's it, they look like normal like big office printers, mm-hmm. but they're they have solid color ink drums. So you originally just print a one color. So instead of printing like black and like levels of gray, you could do like blue or red or whatever. And there's a bunch of colors, and it just prints really efficiently. You can print like 500 individual sheets of paper in a couple seconds. It's nuts. Wow. And what artists discovered is that you can layer different colors on top of each other if you pass it through multiple times or now there are machines that have two you can do up to like two colors drums at once is it overlays like screen printing so if you do a blue ink and a yellow ink you get green 
this one's just one color, but future issues, I might do multiple. For the second one, I'm for sure doing two colors because that's just a, a really cool part of the medium that's, you know, kind of lost in the the way most things are printed in comics nowadays. And doing doing something at a small scale makes it cost efficient, like very unique. And it's I'm very excited to actually do uh, play with the medium more uh, in, in next issues because this one's just one color. So you don't really get the same kind of fun of mixing colors. It's still cool to not have like mm-hmm. a black and white book. But yeah, that'll be that'll be fun to experiment with as the series continues. Yeah, I'm excited to see where you take it. I, I really enjoyed the color in this one. It's a beautiful blue that yeah. you don't really expect. And I mean, you see it on the cover, but you know, when you think of um, like indie comics you, and and like sort of toned down work, you do think black and white yep. generally. So it was a it's sort of a breath of fresh air to see this. I read the foreword to it, and you mentioned in in the Rizograph section that it was sustainable. Can you go into that a little bit? I'm certainly not an expert. But in in what I my understanding is it's a it's a soy based ink, so it's it's and everything's natural. So natural versus processed is like sure oh, of course as a can of worms. But it's it's a more sustainable practice in that it's it's like it's not a heavily processed ink in same way like inkjet ink is. Or I don't know enough of other kinds of printmaking to like compare it to. But this is a, just a, a totally different thing. I know there are like a, a mm-hmm. lot of packaging labels like printer labels that's just like light it's like burned into it that's not ink like that mm-hmm. is that is another kind of sustainable way that's like the extreme just another cool thing about it. like it, it never fully dries if you like were to take a really highly saturated piece of paper and like rub it it'll mm-hmm. you can still move it if your hands are a little greasy which they usually are oh wow so it's cool so yeah you, you kind of have to handle with handle them with care like anything that's like if you were like holding oil painting like same same kind of idea sure um, yeah but it's really cool. It's a cool part of the, the, the process. That's really interesting. And the fact that you have to handle it with such care kind of gives it this sort of sense of, of I guess, value is not the right word, but there's an intimacy to it, right? For sure. And, and yep. a care that you have to take. I really appreciate that. Let's get a little bit into your background. What brought you into comics? Why, why is this your sort of outlet? Yeah, my, um, my uncle, my mom's brother, Barton, was slash is a, a huge comics collector. He still has a big collection. He's, he's I don't think he's, he's super active in, in collecting at this point in his life, but he's he's been a, a big comic reader all his life. And growing up, it was it was really the thing. I don't think I'm unique in this. It it was the thing that very much got me into reading. Period. I'm a I'm a I'm a twin, and my brother was a, a, a reader reader very early. He was like reading the newspaper, and he was like four. And I when my parents try to get me to read. There would, there would be picture books. I'm like, I don't want to read. Ask John. He likes it. And it, I, I think <laughs> they, I think they interpreted it as I couldn't. It's like, I could read. I just really wasn't engaged by it. Right. Um, but at, at a certain point, my, my uncle bought me, I could get the, it's probably been like the very first stuff I read, but the stuff that's most memorable is he bought me like the, the Marvel masterworks collections. Which I think is, I think penguin makes them, which is like the collection of, the first so in, like ha- handful of issues of in my case it was Spider-Man and Fantastic Four, um, so the OG Stan and Jack, FF and, and Stan and Steve Spider-Man and those were extremely formative for me and and I think like a lot of you know young white boys superheroes were really <laughs> captivating and that that was a love I never lost it was it was 
I didn't. It's, it's funny because I, I always I was very much like the one kid who read comics because I'm a li- I'm I'm 24. So I was kind of getting it was a conscious reader post the 90s crash. So I think comics weren't like Ultimates were still when comics were, were sort of starting, but that was like more for people that were at least teens. And that yeah, time yeah. I, I, I did read them when I was young, but a lot of the, the more quote unquote mature stuff went over my head. But I, I guess yeah. I loved I loved the characters, I think, more than the medium early. I, I, I voraciously read Marvel encyclopedias and Marvel Ultimate guides and later like the the websites. But as, as I got into I, in my head, I don't think I, I was conscious of it. it's like, oh, I love the characters. I therefore love the medium. Um, but I, I was always a drawer, which I don't like illustrators, I guess sounds sexier <laughs> and it was always like such a like a thing i knew very very early on oh i'm gonna go at that and when i was really young draw for marvel and then as i i was doing that simultaneously like having ideas for characters of my own and throughout you know elementary school middle school high school as i purposely made myself branch out into things beyond superheroes despite never losing my love for them I really love the media. Like it, it's such a, a special form of of storytelling. I will preach the word of Scott McCloud's understanding comics till the day I die as like such a formative piece of, of of work that broke my brain in like such a perfect, easy to understand way of what comics do that nothing else can do. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's as soon as I, I read, I think I read it like midway through high school thereabout. I was like, Oh, I know how I can tell stories in this, in this way that are not necessarily superhero stuff and reading other, other works outside did that too. But it was, it got my hooks in me very early before I knew like why beyond the types of stories, like really it's just such a, uh, all it is is you put two images next to each other. And that's a story. Yeah. And that's like such like a, a part of your brain that you don't have to learn. Like, it's just, it's magical how your brain does it automatically. And then with mm-hmm. that thing that we as humans do, how can we tell stories with that? And that's, that's just a, a really great thing that I'm, I'm really happy to be a part of. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And I totally hear you on that. It's very like a, what the, the filmmaker Eisenstein, right? The, the father of the montage. So how did you learn to draw? Did you get did you get formal training on it? I love your artwork. I especially love the faces on your characters. Thank you. I love the I love the old man and I love the lumpy fish. Yeah, that's a well, that's a that's so so the they're they're actual goldfish. The two goldfish, uh, Lingo and Argo. I'm Argo. I'm going to get their names wrong. Argo is a telescope. <laughs> it's called telescope goldfish with the giant eyes, and Lingo is a ranchu goldfish. It's like a Japanese. Uh huh. Type goldfish, which like it just has these really like pearls of flesh on them that are really they're really pretty. Um, but they're real, yeah, they're real fish. I've been drawing my whole life. I have a, I have a vivid memory of I don't know exactly how old it was, but for one of one of the things I got for from the Tooth Fairy, it was a a very like it was targeted to very young people who drew like more how to draw Marvel characters where it's like they came with like four markers and like you could like built in tracing sheets it was like spiral bound you could like trace spider-man which is like not really learning how to draw but there was still that was still significant and then a little later i got how to draw comics in marvel way by stan lee and sal buscema which is a i think really like really like straightforward book to like because it's superheroes you that's like the end to like why you care about it but like it's a good uh, like things about like action and and uh camera angles 
and like how to emphasize things based on how you compose a panel. Um, less about the McLeod stuff with like sequence. It was more about, it was really more of an illustration book than like a comic book, a book on comics, nonetheless valuable. But I, I took art classes my entire life through school. I was very lucky, especially into high school, to get a very good art program and then went to school for art. Um, I went to the in college, I should say. Uh, I went to the Maryland Institute College of Art, or MICA, which is, a, I think, the oldest art school in America, which is just nice. It sounds good. That means nothing. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's, um, it's in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, I majored in illustration and minored in sequential arts, comics, and graphic design and creative writing, which sounds like a lot. Um, but the pieces <laughs> fit, fit very well together based on how the curriculum was structured. Yeah, like formal education, we can go down the rabbit hole of what the the pros and cons of that. Of course. But for me, like I I had like I, I certainly wouldn't be where I am today as a, a person or as an artist without those four years of, of putting my ass into gear to get my work good. Not that you need it. In short, you don't no, need of course. it. I, I needed it. I don't think a, a normal person could not accelerate as quickly in four years without a formal boot camp, whatever that means. But for me, it was, it was invaluable. And I met the person I'm going to marry there. So that's, that's worth it for the price alone. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now in the, in the very beginning of the introduction, you actually reference a moment in high school, in one of your high school art yeah. classes where somebody is very confused with an answer that you give them. They ask you what you want to do. And you said what? No. So it's flipped. So they said, they wanted to go into being an art therapist and I was confused about, uh-huh. I never heard that as a thing. Me being, I was trying, I, I caught myself. I'm like, I like, she, she said, I want to be an art therapist. I'm like, what? Cause I, I heard it and my brain was like, that's not a thing I've heard of. I want to make sure mm-hmm. I heard you correctly. Try not to be judgmental. And they clarified and explained it. And it's a very cool, like there's tons of forms of therapy out there. I'm not a, a therapist or a psychologist or psychiatrist, so I'm not going to explain it. Super accurately, but like it's it's <laughs> a way to use art, the art making process is a way to cope with with trauma or heal or whatever. And like all therapy is a way to to process things that have happened to you in life. And it was just like a a, a moment that stuck out to me. I had no idea if that if my my classmate went into it ultimately. It's a it's a thing I think about to get heady in terms of like what does an artistic practice mean, which is like I think it's like any other hobby in that it's a thing you do to 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 grow as a person to to reference mcleod again in in understanding comics and i'm paraphrasing he he defines art as anything not essential to human survival which i i both agree with in terms of it's not essential to human survival but it's both it's also like the most human thing you can do is create sure yeah i really scoff at the idea of people claiming themselves to not be creative which i really think is i'm just not being confident in what they what this quote-unquote skill level they are at to create something yeah but like yeah i love that at any you could any at, we are by design creative creatures like making a good meal is creative telling a joke is creative deciding what to put on in the morning to to go out to feel good about the way you dress that's creative i, I really wish people get out of their own heads and like recognize their I, I both want people to recognize their inherent creativity. And also I've said someone who I, I, my day job is an art director to know when you're like to trust the people who know better than you about being mm-hmm. creative, you know, like 
the clients who think they're art directors, it's like, no, you're not. Like, I appreciate your opinion, <laughs> but trust when I'm making a creative decision, there's a reason for it. You know, paper medicine is is the name that was very serendipitous because it's like a, a thing I can, I can do the practice, which I think practice is such a good word for making art. It's just a thing mm-hmm. you do regularly to learn about yourself in the making of the thing or express some of your, of your thoughts or whatever they may be. And then you have a thing to then share with other people. And it's a, it's a really beautiful feedback loop of, of, of like, in, in, of, of connecting with people. So that's, that's my art therapy. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me for sure. It's a, it's a, it's a conversation. That's the yeah. way I like to define art the best is, is it's yeah. a conversation. But speaking of doing art between and among people, you, I think, work closely with a group called Cartoonist Cooperative. Yes. So I am a, a proud member of the and, – and also I'm on, I'm on staff of the uh, Cartoonist Cooperative, which is a – started, I want to say, in February of 2023 um, by a group of five great cartoonists who I can name if you want me to. Yeah, please do. I don't want to miss anyone, so I'm going to go to our website, <laughs> cartoonist.coop. Nice. Oh, got their own got their own server, huh? We do. If it's okay with you, I'm just going to read from the FAQ so I can I can fully pitch. Please. What the co-op is. So the Cartoonist Cooperative is a member-driven organization that aims to improve and protect the careers of comic workers globally. As a member of the Cartoonist Cooperative, you will benefit from from and contribute to organized promotional campaigns for members' comics, career development resources, creative feedback and assistance, professional connections, and more. So this is a group started by five cartoonists or creative comic creators: Sloan Leong, Zach Hazard, Vaupin, Nero, uh, Viagalos, O'Reilly, Romina Yi, Joan Zara Dark, and Aaron Lotzi. So people from all across the world coming together. You try to make comics a better place for everyone. Love it. That's what we love to hear, right? Yeah. What kind of specific projects are they working on right now? So, at, at this point in the co-op, and I can I can only speak with like ten percent more insight than anyone anyone else is a member. I'm sort of <laughs> on staff. I'm one of the managing uh, editors of the co-op, so we have like a, a journal or like a, a blog if you want to be less sexy than journal about it. <laughs> um, but we, we sol- me and me and blue Delaquanti is another um, really great cartoonist solicit and edit articles from members to, to publish. And that's been really fun where to be involved. But the, the big thing right now is basically promotional campaigns for members comics. So me being on this podcast is by virtue of, of paper medicine being selected for one of these campaigns. So the, the committee, which is the founding members, um, you can submit to for a promotional campaign. If selected, you essentially get the members and volunteers at your disposal to help you promote your comic however you want to. For me, I, I applied after my book was printed, so there wasn't like it wasn't like a marketing campaign to get people to buy the book. It is still, but not in terms of like a pre-order sense. Sure, it was just like I, I really like doing podcasts and interviews and reviews. So that that was really my that's actively my main goal of being a part of the campaign is like sending it to shops, um, reaching out to shops in my behalf. The point of it is marketing comics sucks as like, unless (laughs) even, even at a big publisher, there isn't a good way to get people to know about your comic. And if they do, if it's like Marvel and DC, like it's not about the creators, about the, the IP. Sure. Which is just different. That's a whole other can of worms. But the, 
the benefit is like I as one person don't have to email 100 shops to see if they want to stock my book. One yeah. person could email one or five or many shops they want to, and that helps my campaign. And that's also that's only require the only requirement to being a member of the co-op. There's no you don't have to pay. There's no there's no like annual fee or anything like that. the The rule is every six months you just have to help with a campaign. You can do one thing depending on what um, cool. the people who were selected want to do. That's and it's great. It's like that's trading labor. Like that's the the that's collective action in comics, right? As a way to to help, like you know, be stronger together. That's all it is. It's like how can we ease the burden of of one person making sure their book is as successful as it could be is, is by doing it together. Because we all we all love comics, and it's 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 such a isolating process, especially since the pandemic, where like there's just you're just sitting out, like you're sitting at home working on your stuff anyway. But for various reasons, it's, it's a lot harder to connect with with people in the industry. With you know, conventions still not being the same since since before the pandemic and probably never will be again. But being a part of, you know, we're over 600 people in the co-op right now worldwide, which is really great for five months, just about, of being live. And you get to meet a lot of really great people who just want to, to help you help others, you know, read your books and get their books read and get feedback on work. Um, it's like meet people. Like it's, 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 it's really great. Like it's full of really good supportive people who are just really enthusiastic about the art form. Um, and if you, whether or not you make comics, if you just want to, you know, be a volunteer to help out, like that's also a thing you can do. There's like, you're mm-hmm. slightly, we have two ways of being engaged. We have a discord server and we have a, a forum being a volunteer versus a member. You have to be a member. You have to be directly involved in making a comic. A volunteer can be anyone not involved. You can be a fan there's some gray areas with like if you're an editor, if that's the only thing you do, I think that might be like a, a hard wall where you can volunteer and not be a member because there's some information that's walled off mm-hmm. for, for privacy reasons. Sure. But it's great. Like if it's is, you know, put my money on it, this is the way we make comics. I was gonna say sustainable again. I don't know if it was ever sustainable source of income ever, but right. but cl- closer to it to to it's most sustainable, whatever that was, whenever that was. Yeah. So, you know, the reason that we're both here is that we are comrades on the left politically. Would you yeah. say that you are not alone in that political orientation at the Cartoonist Co-op? Short answer, not alone. Yeah, I would. Say, I, I can't speak for everyone's obviously individual sure politics, but I think it, in terms, it, certainly in terms of like for what it matters in the context of being a worker, absolutely. Yes, we all want comics to thrive as an industry. We want everyone to make money off of it, and it to not wreck our you know want not to like sit below poverty we, we want to not be overworked the big reason for the call is like because we're not employees with the current model we're all independent contractors um we can't unionize right so we the only the, the the best thing we can do is is informally organize to just talk about you know things are going on and no no if, if a particular publisher is, is shitty we may not feel comfortable blasting them on social media, but in the Discord, we can be like, hey, I had this really bad experience mm-hmm. um, with XYZ. Be mindful if you ever work with, with the publisher or a specific person or whatever. So yeah, like it's it's we, we all just want to make our times in, this, in the medium we love to be better from a, a worker's rights standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. I totally get it. You mentioned at the very end of the intro to Paper Medicine Number 1, you say, soon you'll know your ABCs, next time stay class conscious with me. And obviously, I love that. Yeah. I imagine people that helped make the book a reality also understand what it means. I hope so. 
I wrote the whole book. I had the script written summer of 2021. But that that line, I, I wrote the intro right before it went print, so a couple months ago, because the communist element of the fish in the story was like the last piece of the puzzle. And then the, the ABC thing, if you want to get into to, to circle back to the, to the story, like, yeah, it's not a spoiler. It is a spoiler. There's a thing I'm doing with the panel layouts and the, the work as a whole with the tease would be with language throughout. And I'm trying to tease with the soon you'll know your ABCs mm-hmm. as like, that's there's, there's formal stuff I'm doing with language in the book. And then soon you'll say class conscious with me it pertains to the, the politics of the, the characters of the book and obviously my own mm-hmm. personal politics. And, you know, obviously a mission I hope everyone uh, subscribes to as much as possible. Yeah, for real. Right. What was your journey to the left? Like, how did you become class conscious? It's, I don't, I could be wrong in saying this as a general statement. I think most kind people at heart are probably leftists because my view on it is it is a politics based in helping your community and making sure everyone gets to, to live as they are comfortably in dignity and be, you know, respected and help each other and and, you know it's not based off of it's not individualistic that's not to say you aren't an individual but it's about helping everyone helping one person helps us all helping everyone helps each of us Mm -hmm. so i'm sure i was a a leftist before i had the words for it and then as i got older i i i can't think of there's like a specific like thing i read in you know a, a, a stupid thing was I think we I, I remember I like messaged you on Instagram once that I was was Disco Elysium, which is yeah. a wonderful video game, incredible game. It's it's great. It's for people who are listening. It's you. It's sort of loosely sci-fi where you wake up as a detective with amnesia to solve a murder, and you like just you know. There's a whole plot mm-hmm. with that, but it's very political. Yeah, yeah. No spoilers in, now. Yeah, yeah. It's very political in in terms of like the plot and like characters and like that. But you in the choices you make playing as this cop you're confronted with the political alignment you are as this character. And I was, became a, a communist in the game. It's very explicitly, you are a communist. <laughs> and it, it, the game, I won't spoil this up, but it, the game does really fun stuff with, with that line of, of play. And I was like, okay, like, okay yeah, I'm a, I guess I'm a communist is because it's like, I believe with every decisions I've made and that, that resonates with me, but it wasn't like a surprise. It was like, I, I guess the word for it was, I, I, I think back a lot on a moment it was in eighth grade. It was in social studies. We were learning about the Vietnam War. I remember asking my history, my, my social studies teacher, like, why, why do we care that Vietnam is communist? Like, why, wh- how does that affect us as Americans? And it was its whole thing with, like, the Red Scare and the, the like, would that be the Iron Curtain, sort of? Where it's yeah, like, like the domino the, theory yeah. and all yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was like, I never, I don't remember what answer was given, but I never bought that as, like, why, mm-hmm. why the heck do we care? And it's, it's just, as, as I, as I'm, still a new adult and I, I grew up and am therefore still am extremely privileged with parents who made very good money to be able to go to one of the best public schools in the in the state to then you know go to a very expensive art school debt free you recognize like I, I remember freshman year of college I'm like how do you, do you have a student loans I'm like no and they're like how I'm like my parents had a college fund I thought that was an, a fairly normal thing I don't mm-hmm. and that was like oh I, even if I knew people had student loans, I didn't realize it was such like that's student loans are the norm. Yeah, I don't think I I understood that as a thing. So it was like, oh, I'm I very quickly as I as I 
you know, has been ingrained with me early on from my, from my parents and through, you know, teachers have had like, none of us are special. None of us like deserve special treatment. And therefore we all deserve the same quality of life. Mm-hmm. And that's antithetical to capitalism. Yes, absolutely. That's all it is. It's like cap the way, whether or not it was designed this way, which is hard to say any governance is designed, I think, but it's, it's, it, it, how it functions is there, there, as, it's not really to have, now it's the have and have nots in, in, in quote unquote perfect capitalism. There's a little more of a scale, but it's mm-hmm. like, why? Yeah. Like we all, who, no one, no one deserves it's, oh, you got to work to live well. It's like, just build a house. Homelessness is fake. Yeah. Yeah. Resource right. Scarcity is fake. It's all fake. It's like, if we need money for it, it's like, no, we don't. What did we do before money? Everyone had houses. It was different. Like it was before industrialization. Yeah. But like, I don't mean to make it sound trivial, but like figure it out. Like yeah, that's all it is. Just get your shit together and do it. Yeah. <laughs> There's no reason no one shouldn't have a home. There's no reason. Was it one fourth of kids go hungry? Yeah. Something, something like, like that. that. An insane statistic. We do it because like, oh, they, those people don't have jobs. And it's like, there's, there's a million reasons why someone might not have a job inside and outside of the confines of capitalism. But it's like, like laziness is a myth. Also, it's part yeah. of that. It's like, that's such a, yes. kind of like, we all would love to do things to help each other. There's a million reasons why that might be a challenge or impossible. And just because someone can't work doesn't mean they don't deserve a quality, a good quality of life. Yeah. Not having a job should not be a death sentence. At all. No. And it sucks that it, it very much is in the long term. And again, like to, to, to circle back to what I was saying, like, it wasn't so much a radicalization so much as finding the tools or the words for things I've always felt intrinsically. Mm-hmm. Not that I have, I'm sure I've become like, I've objectively become more left as I've gotten older, you know, to quote Superman, truth, justice, and a better tomorrow. Like that's right? all it is. That's all it is. And that you can't, you can't believe that and not objectively see communism if you want, or, an, or anarchism if you prefer, or just like community based support. How you can't see that as the thing, as that's the goal, and to me, communism is a way to do it. No, totally. I, you know, it's it's so funny that you keep mentioning that you didn't have the words for it because one of the things that I enjoyed so much about Paper Medicine Number One was the the communist vocabulary. I mean, you yeah. have the the fish and the robot man say, you know, yelling at the pigeon, calling them lumpen proletariat. Like yeah. that's uh, that's pretty good. Well, I look, I look, I looked that up. I'm like, I need a word. Because in the in the in the story, the pigeon attacks. It opens with the pigeon attacking the fish in the robe in the in the automaton before you know the fish are in there. So I'm like, okay, the fish are communists and they think that the humans are capitalists. What is the pigeon to attack the fish? And I'm like the Lupin proletariat. I believe you might know better than me, but I remember it is like I think it's a Marx word. It must be a Marx word. Where it was like working class people. Who, for for whatever reason, based on their 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 job or whatever, go against the best interests of the proletariat? Yeah, they generally lack class consciousness. Yeah, lack, yeah, yeah. So that's that's probably a better way to put it. So that's probably what the pigeon is 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 a is a is a, is a working <laughs> is an animal. If, if all animals are by that by the definition of the fish working class, and yeah, they don't. The pigeon just is, is just violent. It's probably liber- I, I in, in hindsight, maybe the pigeon's libertarian, but like that's that might be <laughs> either either way it works. The most individualist of all birds. Yep. <laughs> That's incredible. So I know that you don't want to give us any spoilers, but what – We can spoil it. We can spoil it. I don't, I don't know if it matters. 
I guess I could we can talk about it if, if we announce we're going into spoilers. And I think it's more fun to. to I love listening this to people talk about works I've never seen in spoiler territory. To me, that doesn't ruin the thing. I don't think it does in this instance. No, I think there's plenty to appreciate of this comic without knowing the story. Sure. The the story feels almost secondary to simple to s- simply to the presentation of the thing. I got to say I really like the way that you've characterized the extremely like over the top, truly unbelievably friendly doctor. Yeah. Like this doctor just rolls with the punches. He's just a nice guy. Some <laughs> yeah, people it's it's great. The, thing. the the doctor's office itself is is Lucy modeled after my dentist office and the character visually is not like my dentist but like a lot of my doctors have been really like great people like i've been very lucky to have really good medical professionals in my life so i wanted to to share that in dr maddox i will talk loosely but the the one of the fish can speak english (laughs) but cannot read and that's issue is like if they're trying to pass off as being a person and you're doing the bureaucracy and the doctor's office filling out a form they can't do anything the that's the crux of the conflict is if if they're not just gonna smash and grab the the fish, which is if they're gonna pilot a human robot, why go, go through all the trouble of not being deceptive? <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna go as far as they can, and if it's like, if they're hitting these walls of like, oh, I can't even read. I needed the doctor to come in and be like um, just a mention and get people get them to like. <laughs> yeah. How deep are they gonna go into the ruse of, of pretending to be a person to eventually get there? their friends out yeah a ruse which takes them all the way back into an actual like room with the eye chart yeah <laughs> well that that's the whole that's the whole joke is like i knew i will now i'm going to spoil the thing that is a, a secret thing i've done that no one has organically caught which is why i'm okay spoiling it <laughs> so the the book it's 26 pages, and it's 26 pages for a very specific reason. It's because each page, the panel layouts are a letter of the alphabet in order. It's very abstract, but if, like, how it's laid out, like, like some pages are, like, some panels are, are corners, or, like, normal corners. Some of them are, um, like, end, like switched to 45 degrees. Some are rounded in ways to, to suggest, like, if there's space between a stem of a letter or, like, an opening and, like, different things, like, being suggestive of that. Um, and like in, in the very select pages, there's a panel missing, and that's only because I couldn't justify putting something there. But the the whole point of the, the to get back to like the eye chart thing, I knew the O page had to be that. It's a it's a it's a splash page. So yeah, splash page can be a page. It's not a spread. Yeah, still a splash page of this. And it's like okay, I have A through N to get to that page. What can I fill with all these other panels, knowing I have to hit that beat? Exactly at the page. There's no wiggle room. Right. It's X number of pages. I designed the letters before I wrote the story at all. So I, I was very, it was very prescriptive of like, I have this many panels to hit these very specific beats. And for the most part, it was flexible, but like the O page specifically, I'm like, I know this is a marker that I have to pace. So it's, it, it hits right then. It, it worked out very well. My goal with the letter thing is I'm, I'm doing a lot of stuff with language in the book. The story is called Pigeon, as in like a pigeon language, but there's a pigeon. There's a, the, a bird pigeon. That's a pun. The, the two fish are lingo and argo, which are both words meaning slang, essentially. What else am I doing? The, the doctor is he's, – he's a, he's a black Jewish man and he, he uses Hebrew as everyday language, everyday 
speak. Mm -hmm. He uses the word copacetic, yeah. which is a, a, a word. No one knows what the word etymology is. No one really? knows where it comes from. There's rumor. There's people have theorized it comes from Hebrew. There's people theorize it comes from Creole um, and other languages. There's no like definitive way we know what got into English vernacular, but it's like very new. It's like the past hundred years or so it's come out. Little things I'm like trying to make sure people understand like I needed a, a, a plot to justify why am I making a comic about the letters of the alphabet. And that's where it's like, okay, it's going to be an eye doctor's office that the fish can't read. Like that's the conflict. Yeah. Is, is languages becomes a conflict. And that's like, it, there's, there's all these little things I'm doing that like, hopefully you recognize it's about language. And maybe by the time you get to like, what's the first time it happens? Like, I think the J page is really good. I'm, I'll, I'll hold it up for you for listeners. We're like, if you know that's a J, I think it looks very much like a J, but especially because there's like two, where there would be two panels are missing. I, I hope if you're reading, you'd be like, why are there two panels quote unquote missing? Mm -hmm. It's because you can zoom out and see it. And hopefully by the time you get there, you get it. Everyone who listens to this and then goes out and reads it, you'll know going in. Oh yeah, you'll see. The coolest thing in the world with me if someone caught it without me telling them. Oh yeah, it has yet to happen. I'm okay, I'm okay if it does it. Like it was, it, this was a, a way for me to entertain myself as like a, I'm such a formal nerd that I'm like I, I just wanted to like give myself a challenge in that way to make sure I justify that creative decision. Like anything like that's such a draw in my process is I have like a formal idea and mm -hmm. I need a story to fit it, or vice versa. Like I have a story, what's a formal trick I can do to make it sing especially well in comics. But in this way, was it was it was a really interesting process to like lay out the panels and not know what the story is, and then backfill it very yeah. explicitly. Well, you filled it out great. Let me tell you, the pieces did fit together very nicely. I love that the communist stuff was what really tied the room together, as it were. Yeah, yeah. I think it it, it worked because like it's not like vague on purpose. It's vague because it doesn't matter like where mm -hmm. the fish came from and how they have a human robot. Like who cares? It's fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who cares? Yeah, the, but the, them being communist is like another way for me to like use words that aren't used in everyday vernacular. Like no no one except people like us are saying bourgeoisie and proletariat on a daily basis. Yeah, right. But the fish do and hopefully like – again, it's just like it's a story about language ultimately. And me writing this at a time when I was playing Disco Elysium to be like, oh, communism is on my mind. Let's make the fish communists in it. I think it served the story well as like an, a layer of motive beyond a, what could have been a slightly more generic heist if fish right. piling a robot is too generic by itself. Well, hey, yeah, I mean, obviously communism is a liberatory philosophy, so it makes sense that these fish yeah. trying to to save their compatriots from the confines of the the doctor's office aquarium is it made it all fits together. Yep, it, it was really serendipitous. I'm, I'm I I think it would have been lesser without it so i'm glad it, i wrote it when i did mm -hmm. yeah i think it all came together very well but like speaking of the comic and the fact that it's one of an anthology i know you don't want to give too much away but is there something we can expect like can you give us a little teaser for what's coming next and you don't have to give it in any order or anything like that because i know i myself am wary of announcing ideas before they're fully formed because i've definitely got stuff in the podcast where i've announced that i'm gonna do something and then i just don't do it <laughs> yeah I'm in the process of like in the script phase. So like it's pretty locked as a concept. I'll, I'll say like the, the theme, I mean the theme it's, it's my take on the uh, AI and art. Mm -hmm. I'll say that is, is what do I have to say about that? How I say it, I think is fun and interesting. If I, if I nail it, I haven't even started drawing it yet, but 
I'll leave it at that. If that's if that's something on your mind, hopefully I can get it done while it's still relevant in the zeitgeist. But keep an eye out for that. Hopefully before the year ends, I'll at least have like pages to show. So we'll see what that looks like. Awesome. That's amazing. Well, where can people find this, the current book and anything that comes out next? Yeah, you can go to my website, uh, benmaxbecker.com. There's a shop there where you can buy uh, Paper Medicine Issue 1 digitally or in print. Future issues will be there as well. If you want to find the Cartoonist Co-op and every other, uh, a lot of other uh, members have their comics as like a a web ring where you can, so with the whole catalog of all of our members' comics, you go to cartoonist.coop. Uh, and see, uh, I, I don't, I don't want to say thousands because that might not be true, but a lot, <laughs> a lot, a lot of comics from like-minded people that you might not have otherwise discovered. Love it. Love to hear it. Well, Ben, thank you so much for being my first guest for the second season of Collective Action Comics. I really appreciate having you on. Yeah, my pleasure, dude. This was, this was so fun. I can't wait to send you your physical copy. Hopefully oh, yeah. you'll, you'll like it a second time. Oh, you know I will. You know I will. Um, before we go, is, was there anything else you'd like to plug or would you like to end on or what? I will, I will, I will I once again plug the co-op and just say thank you for anyone from the co-op who might be listening for helping me get in touch with Nat and for your help getting this book in people's hands so far. It's so awesome that this community exists and I implore anyone listening who wants to make comics a better place, whether you are a comics maker or not, to sign up and join the co-op if you care about this medium and want people who make it to live more sustainable lives. Well, amazing. Ben, thank you once again for coming on. Of course, thank you again. I want to thank Ben Becker once again for coming on the show. Go follow his work at his website. Go out and get paper medicine. Check out the Cartoonist Co-op and volunteer if you have a mind to help comics grow as a fair and sustainable industry. You can find those links in the show notes. And a special shout-out goes to the Collective Action Comics Patreon supporters. I could not do this without your help. You can also support the show by sharing it with your friends, getting them to sign up, whatever you think is best. But please, as you're doing so, remember that America is actually the bad guy. The bad guy.